welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast uh, with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or even transition to a new career, you have come to the right place. If you like this episode, please like and share this with a friend. Today, I'm chatting with Anna Rayborn, a classically trained opera singer and now the director of business development for Manifest Boston and co-founder of Hopscotch Labs. Anna, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Yuri. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. Uh, where are you calling us from? So I am calling you from my lovely backyard in Jamaica Plain, uh, <laughs> which is part of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and it is a gorgeous day here. So we're just enjoying the outdoors. Great, great, great. And how has, uh, for people who are not in Boston, how has it been in Boston the last couple months? It's been I feel like the word wild is a good word for it. Um, you know, it's funny. It's funny. At the, I'm sure you're hearing this from a lot of people, but at the beginning of this year, I had made goals for myself. And one of the goals was to simplify my life. And man, did the universe deliver. Um, I feel like I was forced to cut out everything that uh, I should have said no to to begin with. And um, here we are. So that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to know. So for my listeners who are less familiar with uh, you and what you do, how do you describe yourself? I, re I would describe myself, this is going to sound a little bit aggressive, but as a recovering opera singer, um, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of, there's sort of some loaded terminology in that um, and sort of the rigorous training that you have to go through and the, uh, just attitudes that come along with that career. And now it's interesting. So now I work for this really interesting organization called Manifest Boston, and we are responsible for the Hub Week Fall Festival, which is really um, sort of this jewel box of innovation and ideas that are happening in the Boston area. And we get to showcase that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're hoping to do we're hoping to do a lot for the city as far as raise its innovation platform. Um, and so it's my job to raise money and to go out and to actually talk about the festival with different corporations like Autodesk and, um, and uh, hopefully raise some money for us. <laughs> I like how you dropped that one in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> you can Wait. edit that out. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're definitely keeping that one in. Um, <laughs> Which reminds me, I have to <laughs> have to reply to a couple of your emails uh, after this anyway. So, so there's a couple of things you brought up, and I want to start unpacking those. So yeah. let's start with the the recovering opera singer part of it. Yeah. What what made you first interested in opera? What made me first interested in opera? Uh, honestly, that I was good at it. That sounds that sounds funny, but you know, no. 
13 year old is out there singing opera unless you're on like America's Got Talent. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got older, it just felt like my voice was better suited for classical music than it was for music theater. And uh, so that's what I did. Because yeah, I was good at it. What was so how did you discover that? Was it were you in a class at some point or someone was like, that girl, opera. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a couple of different ways. I've been singing since I was a very small child. You know, I remember going to auditions as like a six-year-old, you know, all, okay. all dressed up, ready to go. Um, and I've been performing since then. And it must have been when I was in high school was when it really kind of clicked for me that that was a, a better career path for myself. Mm -hmm. Um I did take voice lessons, you know, I was in chorus, I did all those things that typical, you know, kids who are interested in music and theater do. And, of course, my teacher, being a classical teacher, started us with those fundamentals. So I always did some level of classical music, even if I wanted to, like, belt my heart out. I wasn't allowed to do it until I had mastered some of the fundamentals. Um, and I started winning competitions. And so to me, it, it was just a natural, like positive reinforcement thing more than anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Okay. So then, so you were doing that and then, so did you study classical music in college or what was your journey like in that? Yes. I have a bachelor's in arts bachelor's of arts in uh, vocal performance from Elon University, which is a small conservatory in North Carolina. And they are mostly known for their musical theater program, but they have a really solid uh, classical voice program as well. And then I took a year off and I started at Boston University doing classical uh, voice there as well in their master's program. And then about halfway through, and this is where I think my journey is interesting for your listeners and for this podcast, about halfway through, I sort of threw my hands up in the air and was like, I'm never going to make any money doing this. Like, I don't, I don't love it enough. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. There's like a part of me that will always miss it. And, and I think I thrived in the discipline of having that kind of structure in your day of like, okay, you get up, you go to class, you are in the practice rooms for hours on end and then you go work out and then you practice some more. Like I thrived in that sort of like rigorous environment. Yeah. Um, but I sort of stopped loving performing and what are you, what are you going to do? Are you just going to practice forever without any like main goals? So at that point I had um, met the person who I was dating, who uh, became my husband. And we sort of had a really serious sit down talk and it was like, okay, what else can I do? And I'd always heard, you know, sort of a segue into your last question. I, the best piece of advice that any of my teachers ever gave me was if you can do anything else, do something else. <laughs> like, like to really thrive as a performer, you really have to like eat, live, sleep, and and love this craft mm -hmm. and if you if there is something else that you feel like you want to do like go explore it because this isn't for you yeah it's interesting that that quote had the opposite effect on you so so i mean i have a similar kind of classical trained background but in theater and of course that's like the go-to thing that all your professors tell you oh yeah and 
it seemed like, at least for my journey, I was like, well, yeah, that's like my rallying cry of like, yes, I will go and I will be that exception to the rule mm-hmm. that succeeds. And because other people have done this and succeeded in this and, and made a living, I am, I want to talk about that moment where mm-hmm. you were like, you know what? Was it, so was it a conversation with the professor? Was it just like, were you sitting somewhere? That moment where you were like, you know what? I love this, but this is not what I should be doing right now. Because mm-hmm. that, that takes a, a level of self-awareness that is, that m- I guess many people in, in university mm-hmm. don't have. And to know that about yourself, it takes a lot of courage and to, to realize that, you know what? I've studied for so long and done this for so long that I'm now going to just stop and go do something else. So what was, do you remember that moment? What, what caused that moment? Yeah, I was sitting in a lesson with my voice teacher at the time and we were working on something. I think it was like something from Deflator Mouse or, you know, Mine Hair Marquee, like a fairly like solid, typical song that, that you would do. And we were, we were working on it and she just like stopped me and she was like, are you going to, are you going to use this? Are you going to like go out and, and audition for things at the BLO or, or whatever? Like, what is your, what is your point in doing this? Mm -hmm. And I sort of sat there and thought to myself and I was like, you know, I don't really want to go audition for the, for the BLO. Um, And I definitely don't want to go with like this song, like if I'm, if I'm going to do it, I want to be the, the very, very best. And I know that I am not, I don't have like the heart and soul to be the very, very best. Um, which may, which may make me sound like I don't try hard enough or, or whatever, but I, I just knew that there was other things I, I could do and wanted to do with my life. And that was sort of the, t- the turning point for me. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I had, as a sidebar, I had a similar conversation with a professor, but not in the arts. It's when I was studying to be a mechanical engineer. Oh it was God. this, it was a similar, like, why are you here moment? Mm. So that's fascinating. I think that's a good charge out to all professors who are listening to this, that maybe you should ask your students more of like, why are they here? Yeah. Okay. So, so you made the switch. And so what did you end up doing then? Um, after you made the decision to move on to something else, what was that something else? I followed my dad's advice and I marched my little body over to the temp agency <laughs> in, in uh, Beacon Hill. And I said, I need a job. Here's what, here's the skills that I have. I've done a couple of unpaid internships because arts administration doesn't pay you anything. Right. Um, and and they said, great, uh, here is an admin job at MIT, um, go for it. And so what, what really should have been two weeks ended up being like three and a half years of my life. And I worked for a professor there who was, he wasn't a professor, sorry, an executive director, an assistant dean, associate dean, sorry, um, there who I think really, for whatever reason, saw something saw something in me and I was able to sort of weasel my way into his heart. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but I think yeah. he, he and my, my direct manager, I think really like pushed a baby bird out of, out of their nest and challenged me in a lot of different ways. And um, so from there I went 
uh, jumped within MIT to MIT Technology Review and fell in love with media mm-hmm. and um, journalism and working with journalists and and a little bit of the advertising world because that's what I did there. And uh, here I am at Manifest Boston. So that's it. That's my that's my yeah. Journey. Yeah, which is it's so it's I think that's absolutely fascinating and and mm-hmm. really interesting. So let's talk about your days at the MIT Technology Review and then what then landed you to where you're at in Manifest Boston. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you had a, a few different roles there. How did you so with your with your background, how did mm-hmm. you navigate these different roles and how did you let's say I mean because you started at one level and then at the end you became a you know senior senior Mm -hmm. project manager and what you're doing now is at the even higher level Mm -hmm. how have you used your background to your advantage in Mm -hmm. this world to continually be promoted Hmm. that's a great question The thing that I learned from the arts, number one, is people skills and self-marketing. I think being able to really, like, understand where your value lies is really important. And for me at Technology Review, there were a couple of different things. I think there was being able to think creatively on your feet. So what I did for them in, in, and what I do for Manifest Boston is I really think of ideas that would resonate with our clients. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but at the time, like we didn't have, we didn't have a marketing team that helped us with this. Like it was literally just me um, and a couple of our teammates coming together to really like see, like kind of almost like it was, and I'm sort of pushing this to put it within the context of the arts, but almost taking each uh, request for proposal and breaking it down like it was a script and understanding the motivations behind it and understanding what the other player, what they really need and want out of a conversation with you. And I think being able to do that along with just being like a genuinely pleasant person and um, got me, has gotten me to where I am so far, which has been, I, I mean, I've, I've been overwhelmed with the sort of professional career that I've had given that I like have literally had zero experience (laughs) in the professional world um so yeah that's kind of that's what I feel about that yeah okay great and then so at what point did you want to make the the jump from what you were doing at MIT Technology Review Mm -hmm. to what you're doing now at Manifest Boston um So I was coming to a point with my career at Technology Review where I felt like there wasn't much of a place to to move up in the world. And I knew that I was, I I knew that I could do more than I was doing there. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to, I used my network and I reached out to a couple of different people and reached out to a woman who worked with me at TR um, and was like, hey, do you like I love Hub Week. I love what you're doing. I think personally, this whole combination of art, science, and technology, and what we do in Boston, like I'm totally behind it. What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I asked for what I wanted. I said, you know, I want to work for you. How can I do that? And it was at a point where she was thinking about moving on, and so she literally was just like, I think you can do this. Like I'm going to help train you, and um, you can have my job when I decide to leave. Yeah. 
And so that's what we did. I, you know, it was definitely a step out in faith because I hadn't had that type of responsibility before. Um, but I sort of weaseled my way in and asked for what I wanted and, and I got it. Yeah. Well, great. And it's like, you've been doing a great job. So you're, you've been working there for a little over a year. Yeah, correct. Uh, how has, so how has the, let's see the, um, your, your thoughts about the job mm. and the reality of the job, how have those different or yeah, been different? We've gone through a massive amount of transportation or God, X that out. <laughs> We've gone through a massive amount of uh, transformation. So yeah. when I started there, we were literally just the festival. And uh, now we are this year round, basically media organization that tells the stories of the Boston innovation ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that is a real joy. Um, it's also really fun to be part of a team and be part of a startup that is like literally innovating on the spot. And it uses a different side of your brain than I've used in my different organizations that are sort of like being a cog in a machine in some way. Like you have your roles, you have your responsibilities, but there's total overlap where we are at Manifest Boston in that if you have an idea, it will probably happen. Like if you build it out enough, if you, if you, you know, um, you know, bring, if you make its value known, you can make it happen. And I think most startups are like that, but that was my first experience in a startup. And so, um, that's where, that's where we are. Yeah. So with, with what you're doing at Manifest Boston, um, Mm -hmm. I know, but, um, are you, so are you still calling it hub week when it actually happened? Like the actual festival, is it still called hub week festival or is it called something else? Yep. So we are still doing the Hub Week Fall Festival. So if you, if any of your listeners are interested, we are going virtual this year. Um, So wherever you are, you can definitely attend and hear what we have to say. Um, The Hub Week Fall Festival is a really one of a kind experience. I think we have taken something that was sort of a civic collaboration in the city um, and profiled it into something that is truly one of a kind. And I'm, I'm really excited about how that's gonna play out, especially this year and the stories we get to tell um, through this platform. And hopefully, you know, having it being virtual, it will do something for the city of Boston. I think that was always the goal is that we have this festival that tells the stories of the doers and dreamers of, and makers of Boston. Um, but it does, my like boss is probably gonna hate me for saying this, but it, it does something like South by Southwest did for Austin, right? Like there is the goal of raising the profile of the city through this, you know, big community event. Um, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but that's where my brain went. (laughs) It does. It does. So is that, so when I was first introduced to to, to Hub Week in Boston, I always thought it was the South by Southwest minus the music part of it. Is that, Mm -hmm. so is that very much how you guys not like to describe it at all? I think, you know, I think like in, in, like category we're probably the same but we are so much built on the character of boston that like we can't just like south by southwest is built on the character of austin right like i think we're just we're a different we're a different genre of the same category yeah um but yeah that's that's how i see us yeah well good so the other part i want to ask about that because you you know your your main goal i guess until this year was to create a physical event mm-hmm. how and so now you see so you mentioned you guys are going virtual this year but mm-hmm. how are you thinking about that for the fall and 
perhaps even like in the like 2021 is that howard how do you approach the idea of physical events and have when do you think that that will happen again wow i feel very unequipped to answer this question <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a great question we've heard everything from you know January 2021 to September 2021 for, you know, big group gatherings. Um, I think me at Manifest Boston and, and me personally, just because I love going to shows and concerts and theater, um, taking it day by day and we'll see what the experts say tomorrow and we'll listen to guidance. I will say just as a sort of teaser that we will have some type of physical activation down in the Boston Seaport. So if you live anywhere near there, you can go kind of play on this sort of art experience that we're trying to, to curate down there. So that there will be some type of special moment where people can like reemerge from their houses after being quarantined for so long and come experience something together that is safe and that is you know in line with all of the guidelines that the state's setting up for us. Um, but we have so much great art and so many people that have put their hearts and souls into this. Like we can't, we can't not share that with the city. Great. So let's talk about your venture. That looks like you recently just launched since our last conversation. Yeah. Um, so tell me about Hopscotch Industries and what's that about? Yeah. So Hopscotch Industries, uh, because it's industries because we sort of, there's another company called Hopscotch Labs and we're trying to figure that out now. Um, who gets the name? Yeah, but uh, this is before we've had to pivot. I think before the quarantine, we were starting to investigate a physical space for a co-working space um, that would be specifically geared towards working families and how do we support men and women who wanted to have a career and also wanted to have a family. Mm -hmm. um, because it's really hard. It's really hard to be a working parent. Um, I can say that myself. I have two small kids and it's so many people or even I, like working parent or not all parents are working parents. I think any mom who's or dad who stays at home with their kids will say that they want two hours to themselves to like read a book or work on a side hustle. Um, and so how could we, how could I and uh, my business partner, how could we really do our best to, to make sure that families have all the resources that they need? Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. So it's pivoted a little bit because, uh, you know, I think it was like a co-working bubble, like before COVID, everybody, everybody was like, co-working is great. And there were little shops popping up everywhere. Um, and so now I think we just need to see what the future holds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about your, how you approach fear, mm -hmm. um, because you're, if you just look at kind of your, you know, your bio and experiences, it seems like you're someone who just has been very uh, fearlessly going from one thing to another um, and taking advantage of opportunities, which is amazing. But those times when you feel fear, and maybe it's when you first decided that you didn't want to be uh, an opera singer anymore, or even just mm -hmm. transitioning from MIT review to what you're doing now at Manifest Boston. When you hit times when you feel apprehensive or fearful, how do you approach those and how do you overcome them? Fear is a great motivator uh, because you have two options. You can either fight and succeed or you can fail. And I think that I've come to a place in my life and the arts will treat you this 
or teach you this more than anything else. I think more than sports, more than, more than anything like failure is really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So if there's no repercussion that can hurt you, um, mentally or emotionally, then why not take the leap and take a chance and, and maybe you'll succeed and maybe you won't, but getting back up and like brushing your, your legs off and saying, okay, we're going to keep going. Like that is the best lesson that I think the arts and specifically classical music, because there's a lot of failure in classical music, mm-hmm. um, has taught me. And it's a lesson that I, that I hope to instill in my kids. And, and I hope to just keep cultivating as I get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. So it's, it's interesting because you're, I've heard that from multiple people who yeah. work in, in whether music or the arts and how it's like, it kind of inoculates you to, yeah. to failure because you fail all the time. Yeah. With that. All the time. Yeah. I failed all the time. Some people don't fail all the time. I definitely <laughs> failed all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, so we, we've already covered my, my final question, which was about the, the, the best advice, but I want to give you a chance if there's another piece of advice that popped in your head, um, besides what your, your professor told you, but, um, has there been another piece of advice that you say has, has been the best advice you've ever received on the non-classical music side? Yeah. The only other thing that popped into my head uh, was, and this is not related to music or to like your journey, but just a personal one. Mm-hmm. So my, when I, I moved to Boston, like the day after I graduated college. So literally like got on a plane and, and left. And my granddad, who was like, you know, I don't know, probably like 88 at the time and lived this amazing life. He, uh, he sort of like pulled me aside at like my going away party and was like, I want you to write down, I want you to write or journal every day because when you're my age, you're going to want to remember the things that you did in your life when you were young. Like you're going to want to remember this experience, um, in all of it's like raw in all your failures and like all the rawness, uh, that it brings. And so I think that is something I, I'm not super successful at. Like I don't do it every day, but I do think that there's something about holding on to the memories of, of what you're doing um, and really living in the moment and being present that that advice has really has stayed with me over the years. So that's what I advise to everybody out there. Yeah. Grab journal. How often do you journal? And do you journal, like, do you write things down physically in a like pad of paper or do you do it online? Uh, I do have a journal. I have like a moleskin, which is like super uh, cliche, but I do have a moleskin that I write in. Um, And it's, this is like totally not, you can edit all this out. I think. We're keeping this in. (laughs) (laughs) Since, since the quarantine, I think I've been more compelled to do it. I think for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, this is a moment in history that I think people are going to want my, my children or my grandchildren might want to read about. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh you can edit this out but two like there's this part of me that feels like if if we don't you know if like society doesn't survive this like maybe my record will be like one of the surviving things which is like totally bananas but um (laughs) (laughs) maybe if like the rubble crashes like there's this girl's journal of like what it is to be a worker um 
and please edit this out. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the, the modern diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> more like, uh, more like the Dear America series from uh, <laughs> from the early '90s. Um, but yeah. So that's that's the other piece of advice that. I would give to other people. Yeah, well, perfect. Well, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to chat with me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. If listeners would like to get in touch with you or you know see what what you're working on. Where is the best place they can go online to do that? Yeah. So I have an Instagram account. Um, it's Anna Rayborn is me. Um, that's more the best place to find me. And then you can email me at Anna at manifestboston.org. Wow, cool. All right, I will put both links in the show notes. People can click right through. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Bye, Yuri. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, Please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.